Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Today we, ha- we are lucky enough to have a Dr. Timo Mappas with us. Timo is the Senior Vice President of Innovation at Carl Zeiss Vision International. And Zeiss is a huge German manufacturer of optical systems, industrial measurements, and medical devices. And there are a number of different areas from semiconductors, uh, virtuality, camera, and eyeglass lenses. So anything with optics and Zeiss might be manufacturing, it seems like. So Timo is, Timo is in charge of innovating across the eye care, uh, which sounds like a tall order. So I invited Timo on the show to talk more about his background and his current role at Zeiss. And I'm excited to learn more. So, Timo, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, Dave. <laughs> and so, uh, first off, let's get to know you a little bit better. It, can you uh, tell us about your background and how you ended up at Innovation at Zeiss? Well, sure. Uh, well, myself, I've got a background in mechanical engineering. Um, had a PhD there and at Karlsruhe uh, Institute of Technology, which is one of the large German technical universities. Um, I had a group with age, uh, eight uh, PhD students and postdoctoral researchers. Um, had a bit of uh, also visiting professor at the university in Denmark and in France. And well, at one point in time, I was uh, 35. Um, I was thinking, okay, do I want to stay in academia or as an engineer, it's more or less that you would have um, want to have a real impact. Um, so I decided, okay, I want to go to industry. And then I was thinking, okay, which is the well most interesting company? And um, if you think about optics, um, it surely is uh, size in particular, also as it is a foundation. So um, we're not stock listed, or better said, just a very minor part of us of us is stock listed. Uh, so you've got the possibility to go for very um, sustainable projects there, and also sustainable research. And that's what uh, interested me most, and so I joined. Um, actually corporate R&D uh, about four years ago and then there I was uh, managing two labs um, all on next generation imaging and about a year ago I took over the um, R&D and IT for Science Vision Care with uh, teams based in uh, Germany, China, Australia, Mexico uh, and USA. Wow, okay. So when you uh, joined Zeiss, you, right away you started managing two labs. Is that because of all your academic academic experience? Right. So um, like I was saying, I had a um, pretty interesting um, uh, cross-functional team also um, in the um, in the academic world before, and um, so I had a, a kind of a jump start there. Okay. And it was quite successful because otherwise I wouldn't have taken that that uh, position in uh, vision care. No, I guess not. And I, uh, what was an example of some projects you were working on in academia? Oh, in academia, it was um, working on different uh, projects than what I'm doing um, now for Zeiss. There in academia, it was on uh, so-called lab on chip systems. So you're, we were doing processing all different kind of um, polymer and all polymer devices uh, where you would want to, uh, for example, examine um, blood or um uh, or um, tear uh, drops or whatever for uh, biological markets. And we're doing their entire systems out of organic materials yeah. and integrating uh, optical light sources. Interesting. So, 
yeah, that that is that is quite cutting edge, especially in the the medical space. Um, right. So that's where you had the connection, the the medical space, and then uh, processing in uh, in polymer. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And, and so, can you before we uh, get too far, can you just provide a a brief overview on Zeiss, so folks, especially here in the United States, have a little. I mean, you guys are all over the place, of course, across the world. But yeah, if you could provide a brief overview, that would be awesome. Yes, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so the company was founded actually 1846 in a um, small university town, uh, Jena, in Germany. And, um, well, it uh, was established by then a university optician. And um, soon after, he, his name was uh, Karl Zeitz. And he was then uh, shortly joined by um, Ernst Abbe, who was a teacher, a university teacher, a professor at uh, Jena University. And uh, he said, okay, he want to make microscopy or the entire designs of microscopes um, he wanted to approach in a scientific manner. And that's exactly what he was doing and revolutionizing um, the entire microscopy. If you go to what you call today um, white field microscopy, more or less every law you touch uh, was introduced by Ernst um, huh. And um, So there, there are those two important people around. So that's the foundation. Mm. And today we're... Um, um, well, international company with uh, 4.5 billion euro um, revenue and um, giving you a feeling we've got more than one patent per day we're filing and uh, wow. 11% of the workforce goes to R&D. So it's a lot on just this yeah, research. And well, a lot of the products we do, you will not be in the very first moment aware of that they are from sites. Just um, give you a few examples. For example, we've got three technical um, Oscars, so Academy Awards, um, for the lenses we do for um, huh. the Hollywood uh, movie shooting. Um, or uh, there are more than 40 Nobel laureates who are working with our microscopes. Um, and something else, well, we all of us, and <laughs> at the moment while we are also doing this kind of, uh, of interview, we are relying on integrated circuits. And if you go there to the high-end integrated circuits in your mobile phone, your computer, wherever, you may be sure that, well, over 80% of them uh, have been produced with size optics. Really? Um, so huh. that, that's what those people are not aware of. We're no. with one customer uh, there, and we are the only supplier and doing the optics there. Interesting. So how how do optics play in or integrate with the uh, integrated circuits? Or um, In order to define those structures for the integrated circuits, um, you need to project a, um, a pattern um, onto a um, photosensitive material. It's called resist. And this projection, you need optics for. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing all the um, optical training there in order to um, uh, to be able to define those very fine structures. Huh, interesting. I did not know that. Okay. So what, what, what a lot of people may know is um, the, the size spectacles. That's exactly where, where I'm working on that forum, but also giving you their feeling about every two seconds um, a person in the world decides to, to go for size spectacles. Mm. Wow. Okay. And and what uh, what falls under kind of the, the eye care division within Zeiss? Is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Um also, there may be a bit on the background. It was the division was founded in 1912, so that's also already wow. uh, more than 100 years ago. 
and again there was from the very beginning it was the um, head of the optics department there together with um, our goods fund um, who uh, got the Nobel Prize uh, afterwards for um, uh, the physiognomy of the human eye so from the beginning that's what you can see with the company from the very beginning until today always very very close to academia um, and today um, well we are the inventor of the um, modern precision lenses uh, so when the entire industry is uh, paying license uh, to us and um, well the um, surely also the pioneer for modern vision care um, and one of the three uh, major uh, leading uh, eyeglass lens manufacturers but we are also doing and that's uh, one of the distinguishing parts the um, dispensing tools so when you go to your optometrist and you are examined there are machines that are taking uh, all the parameters from your eye and that's also what we're doing hmm. and as we have got also uh, a division on um, medical technology we are doing also the microscopes uh, that you have got in the operation theater so um, all this high-end equipment we are doing as well and so like this we've got uh, the possibility also to much more holistically um, understand what does it mean uh, to uh, examine the eye and thus uh, to the, do the best spectacles for the eye interesting okay and how's your uh, innovation team set up and uh, is innovation essentially R&D or do you have other or how do you uh, how do you think about innovation within Zeiss? Mm -hmm. um, well, if we if we look at innovation itself, um, I'm always trying to to uh, cite uh, Schumpeter, uh, at Harvard uh, University professor. Uh, he had a very nice uh, citation once. It was this: um, innovation is the implementation of a technical or organizational novelty, not just its invention. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It's not enough to just have a great idea. Uh, the idea you have has to hit the market, so it has to be um, successful in the market. And that's exactly how we try to address that. So um, we've got teams on the one side to um, understand, okay, what does our customer want? Um, so that would be the um, application push, but also uh, the so-called uh, technology pull, so uh, where you would uh, want to understand, okay, what are their... Um, new technologies coming up that we would want to make into new products that maybe the customer isn't aware at this moment yet that there might be something completely new um, available. So we are doing both and um, we are then uh, developing the processes to make those lenses but also uh, quite a lot of the uh, special equipment, so the machines both to characterize what we have been ma uh, manufacturing, and to manufacture this um, ourselves as well. So some stuff you can buy, and quite a lot uh, we have to make ourselves. Gotcha. And, and do you have an example of something you're working on now, and you know how you came up with the idea, and uh, how you kind of take it through its process from you know idea to commercialization, and how that works? Mm, sure. Um, I think one, one very recent topic that was just introduced um, this year, so 2016, uh, to the U.S. and um, a few um, a few months later to uh, or also earlier to uh, to other parts, uh, it's the so-called uh, drive-safe lens. Um, it was our approach to say, okay, when you're driving in the night, um, 
it's great when you have got these uh, new LED headlights. Uh, it's not that great when the others have that, in particular when they are not uh, properly adjusted. <laughs> so maybe you know that from your own experience. Yep. You, are, yep. <laughs> you perceive Very that glare. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, we know, okay, we knew, okay, there's this need to um, do something against that that glare. Um, and on the other hand, we also said, okay, when you're driving in the night, um, your pupil is wider um, than it is when you're um, driving or when you're walking in bright sunlight. And this defines in the end what is the uh, depth of focus. So this means, means how well can you pers- um, estimate distances. That's something you also you might know from driving yourself that you know, okay, in the night it's much more difficult to say, okay, which distance is this other car? Or so it's, um, it's a natural thing that you can't do anything against, but uh, you can optimize the spectacle lens in a manner that it is um, not disturbing this even more, but helping you huh. uh, to, to have the distances better. And surely when you've got uh, then also a, um, a progressive lens, uh, you would like to understand, okay, uh, where are people looking at when they are driving with a car? So maybe question to you, Dave. Um, <laughs> I know with the interviews the other way around. Still. <laughs> I like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how much do you think uh, would you um, be looking at the dashboard while you're driving? How so often? not how many times, but not how, how much of the time would, would you ask? Oh, like what percentage of the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say 5%. Very good. It's three percent. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's three percent. Okay. Um, and most people say, okay, it's it's often, and it's true. It's often. It's a lot, but yeah. only very quick. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot, but you have to be in focus on spot. So um, we developed also there in this design of the lens, um, a um a feature that you are just in the proper distance to the dashboard. And, uh, well, you need these two areas, the dashboard and the road. But this, um, this as we call the channel in between, uh, can be a bit steeper than when you have got something for reading, for example, because that would be just the hood of your car. That might be interesting to look at, but not that much <laughs> when you're driving. Right. Um, so we combined all of this. So to have uh, with an eye tracking system, so we joined um, uh, or we teamed up um, with an institute that is working for the leading German car manufacturers to uh, doing the dashboards. So we teamed up with them and said, okay, we're doing it in a simulator first, but then also really in um, real-time environments. So we had people driving with their cars and uh, having so-called eye-tracking systems with them. So uh, we could see where how their um, eyes were moving and which part of the um, spectacle they were using. Because ideally, you would want to mm-hmm. make it very comfortable. Wow. That um, you've got your um, uh, the entire uh, design of the lens should be in a manner that you're as much relaxed as anyhow possible to drive safe. Um, so that was the one part. Then, as I was mentioning, uh, to um, take this larger pupil size into account, um, because if you do an optical design, you can whether uh, take a so-called chief ray, so just one one ray, or you can take a bundle of rays. And uh, in the night, you have to take a large bundle because you've got a large pupil. That makes it all a bit more difficult, but okay, we've got the, the know-how to do that. And eventually, like I was saying, this, this glare that you're perceiving could use blocker that's completely blocking this um, particular this blue light um, because you've got these cold headlights 
Uh, so it's a lot of um, blue in there. But if you would do that, um, the headlights wouldn't work anymore. So um, that's not the means, but more uh, to say, okay, you would like to um, uh, reduce it only uh, to, well, how we found 18%. We, we reduced to 18% um, this uh, short wavelengths. And uh, like this, it's a combination of these three factors that we made into a product and that is just now out in the market. Huh. Interesting. And, and, and that just uh, fits within a normal eyeglass lens. Yeah. And the idea... Yeah, where's the, oh, go ahead. And then the idea there also was to say, okay, we would um, we knew from our customers. Um, well, ideally, we as a manufacturer, we would like to sell as many lenses as possible. But we knew um, that there are quite a lot of um, customers, consumers out there that say, okay, they want to have only one par pair of glasses. So um, they were designed in a manner that they can still be an all-purpose uh, glass, so optimized for driving. But if you buy only one. That's the one. Huh. So that's also for the price point in a way that it's not the, the most expensive one. Um, it's, it's a very good one, so it's not cheap. That's not the case, but um, it's good uh, and uh, good for um, for all day purpose. Wow. That's so. How did you come up with the idea? And and so you came up with the idea, but then the next step. How do you start testing out if this is a good idea or not? <laughs> you know, because you don't know necessarily until you kind of start talking to people and customers. And um, yeah, so how did you go through that process? Yeah, that's um, that's a quite interesting process. So um, you can say it's like a step process that you've got like a, a brainstorming, for example, in the beginning. Okay, what could be ideas? So where are there needs? But are needs that you can see coming up? And um, then uh, we evaluate first uh, principles. Okay, what could we do then? We do simulations. Uh, if that would work with a spectacle lens. Uh, so if it is possible to do this as all, at all. And um, then surely we've got um, first, uh, first samples. We've got wearer trials, internal wearer trials, really to know, okay, how does that work with the people? Uh, how is it perceived? What could we optimize? And only when it's, when it's perfect, uh, we bring it to the uh, to the factories and thus to the market. Hmm. Interesting. And how many of these type of projects do you have going on at any one time that you're kind of, you know, they're all different, probably in different uh, uh, processes, or there are different points in the process, but yeah, how many projects do you have? Right. Um, <clears throat> so surely we've got some that are on products, others that are on processes, Um the tricky part is um, those that you have given products, um, so that will be future products. It's um, that's where I have to be. Uh, well, sorry that I can't disclose that. Well, which fair ones we're working fair on? Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but fair from your side to ask. Yeah. Uh, so there are more in the pipeline, sure. Um, but um, I think for this specific one I just mentioned uh, for for driving, uh, there was a pretty good solution now. Out there, so and we we are receiving extraordinary feedback there. For example, we also teamed up there with Mercedes, um, so the car manufacturer, for the introduction of the new um, E-Class, because they said they are doing uh, the best uh, cars and we're doing the best practicals, and so we teamed up there also for the introduction. Huh. And how much of your time and your uh, labs time or innovation teams time do you spend on? Uh, Think about new ideas versus uh, improving existing products. 
That's a very fair question. Um, we have like an ongoing uh, process to say, okay, uh, to think about those uh, those new ideas that you wouldn't say, okay, and um, like on Friday morning you have to be uh, creative. That doesn't work. <laughs> you can't you can't uh, say, okay, that's you can't you can't well you just can't order that. I think what's very important <clears throat> that you've got this um, team spirit and that it's not thinking of what you had for a long time in a lot of companies, the silo thinking, uh, so that you had the different divisions uh, very strictly separated for organizatorial reasons. You still have to have this um, um, strict reporting lines for sure, but the um, creative parts are done in a lot of cases just in between. That when you get the people together and you get there an environment that they want to talk about stuff. And that's what we try to um, to foster um, as much as any possible. And, and these are people on your team, or would they be outside, like potential customers? Both. Both, okay. Both. Okay. Um, so um, surely uh, those in um, the team, they, um, uh, they have got this as a, as a defined focus, um, but also everybody else is um, invited, and we do get uh, quite some some ideas and then also discussions from outside and that's exactly what I meant uh, what is very important that you have got this across the company and not just um, in in one uh, defined area like R&D and, and who, to get to those ideas yes yes and uh, who's on your te- team and how many people are approximately on your team okay um, there are um, well um, you could in the end, um, everything is physicists, engineers, chemists. Um, it's an international team um, in each of the locations. So I mentioned earlier, apart from the U.S., we have Australia, China, Mexico, Germany. And uh, altogether, these are about 150 people. Wow. Um, and um, what's very important there to have just those team players I was mentioning. So this team is, is extraordinarily important. And um, we're also quite selective on who to take on board there. Um, this team playing is um, essential, and then to have really um, very good people. And I think we, we've got the, the environment that it's then when you've got very good people there, they attract very good people. So that's, that's really fun. I bet. And is there any certain, I'm curious, any certain skill set or that's in high demand that's hard to find? That if uh, if they come along, you automatically hire them because they're just uh, yeah. so rare. Got, got your point. Um, well, the, the challenge is surely that uh, what we're doing this entire um, lens design. That's something. If you think about uh, spectacle lenses, um, that's something very special. That's something that you don't are not trained at a university. Um, so that's always what we have to um, train our staff ourselves in some. So we um, are hiring somebody who has a good and solid background, for example, in optics uh, um, simulation, and then we train them on particular our topic to say, okay, and that's where we where we want to go with them. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And, and it- then it's uh, process engineering. If you think about um, um, the spectacle lens today. It has a um, polymer body, um, and then you've got this um, so-called hard coat on top, 
so to make it scratch resistant. Um, and then on top, there's um, a so-called AR coating, so an anti-reflection coating. And this uh, anti-reflection coating then is an inorganic material. And it sounds very, well, simple. Um, but the accuracy, and in particular, the um, stability that they have to withstand those uh, spectacles, no matter if you leave them in your car when you're somewhere in Miami uh, and uh, your, your car is standing in the sun, or if you go and skiing with them and um, you're having them drop into the snow, um, there's quite a temperature difference. Hmm. And um, they surely have to withstand that. So uh, before anything comes to the market, we've gotten quite extensive testing that they will uh, withstand all these um, different environments. Or right, if people go into um, holidays in every part of the world, so um, be stable in any climate, and uh, surely also to be uh, scratch resistant that, um, right, as far as it is technically uh, possible, uh, that you can clean them easily and uh, that they last a long time. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I never thought about that. You have so many uh, external factors you have to consider. I've, I've worn glasses pr- for probably 20 years now, and uh, so maybe I have Zeiss in my face. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to. Look, I'd have to figure that out. If uh, I probably do. Um, yeah, do you know if they are, if they are good, you have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They've lasted a long time. I bet. I, I bet I do. Uh, what? What? Uh, do you, I, kind of a side question. Do you know what percentage of the market of uh, eyeglasses you have in the United States? Um, if you go to the um, to the top tier, uh, so um, um, you always uh, distinguish. Okay, do you have just um, those uh, very low-cost uh, spectacles that you can more or less throw away. Uh, or if you've got them highly individualized, of those uh, highly individualized ones, we've got a uh, very significant uh, share. In particular, as I was mentioning, um, that this uh, so-called free-form technology, so when you individualize um, the spectacle really to the... Um, uh, to both to the shape of your eye, but also the shape of your um, uh, cornea. So that's just the um, the out- outermost part of your uh, of your eye. Uh, if you do this um, highly individualized, um, the entire technology there uh, is coming from us. So the, comp- the competition wow. also has uh, licenses this. But so you could say even if you're mm-hmm. uh, buying competition, a lot of the technology in there is by uh, by size. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. I, I'm guessing there's a, a higher percentage of uh, uh, employees at Zeiss wear glasses than the the rest of the world. You guys have to test yep. your own product <laughs> or instead of like contact lenses. Um, and so and you might not be able to disclose much because if it's an R and D, but I am curious, you know, what um, technologies. Um, you're most excited about that you could incorporate into your lenses or maybe even use for testing. You, know, you mentioned the eye tracking, um, to, you know, to better mm-hmm. develop your lenses or, you know, if there's like anything with augmented reality or computer vision or what are your, uh, yeah, sure. there's anything you can share. <laughs> That's not confidential. <laughs> um, so, um, well, <laughs> confidential, no, I can't, but I can give you a bit of the framework. Um, also, to to um, to make you understand there um, a bit more the background. Um, 
So um, I mentioned we've got this, or you mentioned in the introduction already, we've got this uh, individual parts um, of uh, size, the individual divisions, and then we are benefiting from um, the other divisions. For example, if you think about industrial metrology, um, where we're doing this uh, extraordinary high-precision measuring devices, and we're also they are benefiting from their knowledge to control these freeform surfaces. So um, to make um, our products not only fitting ideally to the um, uh, to the customer need, but um, also to control that it is stable like this, always the same, and um, giving you a feeling. Um, there's a lot of talk about this in industry 4.0. In the end, um, that's what we are doing for more than 15 years now, um, because. We are taking the parameters of the eye of um, the individual person who wants to have this high-end spectacle glass that's optimized for his or her uh, her personal needs, um, and this is then calculated. So each of them is calculated individually, and then individually fit to the machine where it is surfaced, polished, then also to that parameters polished, and then going through the processes, whatever you wanted. Um, as um, hard code or AR code or whatever, um, but you have got really a highly individualized um, pair, giving you their feeling also. It's about 200 parameters, so wow. variable, wow. Um, that you're using to define such a freeform glass. And um, then it's, I think, easy to, to calculate. So the one that is made for you is made for you once, huh. and that's it. Never the same again. Um, because even if you're measured then two or three years later, your eye is uh, just, well, as your entire body, it is developing. Um, so um, after two years or so, you will have different parameters, and thus a different glass will be made. Mm. What, mm. Interesting. What, what's one of those parameters that would uh, surprise us? I mean, that's a lot of parameters. Um, or it's, Can you give an example of some of the parameters? Sure. Um, one thing, for example... Um, it's what we're calling it's a, it's a wave front measurement that we are doing. Um, so we are really taking into account the entire um, optical surfaces. So not only the power that your lens, your natural lens has, uh, but also how is the shape of the lens. And that's exp exactly what I meant earlier. Um, when you think about um, your pupil size, um, you can imagine when your pupil size is small, um, there's another part of your lens that is used that when your pupil uh, size is large, then you've got a larger mm -hmm. portion of your lens. And surely when your lens um, is not um, uh, shaped like uh, like a ball lens, which is never the case, um, this will have a large influence. And this uh, always arises from, from the one human being to the next human being. Um, so even if you've got your a part of uh, having twins, there it's the same. If they see the same environmental um, parameters, there it would be identical. But otherwise, it's not identical. And that, these are the parameters just we take into account. So um, all those shapes, the thicknesses, whatever you want. And that's where we benefit from medical technology, because if you go to uh, ophthalmology, so the entire science of uh, vision, um, you need also this wavefront measurements. And uh, that's what I was mentioning earlier. So we have got this medical technology 
that we are applying there and we're transferring to the spectacle uh, ah, spectacle world. That of course. Yeah, yeah, my, and that's also my, uh, yeah. No, that makes sense. My my wife used to do some uh, work with eye researchers, so she was definitely familiar in the retina in particular, so she's definitely familiar with their your equipment for imaging the retina. Yeah, stuff, surely, yeah. surely. Yeah. Like, like for example the um the, the so called um O C T. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. optical coherence tomography that's also uh, something we introduced. So um, there, there's a lot um, that you are that most people are not aware of in the first in instance that it is size, um, but it has a large impact. Because well, when your wife has been working in this field, you're I think you are very well aware of that uh, the the eye can be uh, seen as a, like an external part of the brain, and um, that's for example also why we um, introduced an own uh, size uh, vision science lab at uh, the University of Tübingen, which is among the top three universities in Europe on uh, ophthalmology, because uh, we wanted to understand it there also more holistically. So not only the optical apparatus, but also what is the brain doing to that information. So in particular, if you think about uh, pathologies, so when um, uh, there are some kind of disorders, um, how can we address that best? So to always have it the entire understanding and thus having the possibility to have the best solution. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And and we're running out of time here, and uh, I still have a, a couple couple questions. And one is, um, how? Yeah, when when you're thinking about a new idea, how do you balance, like, let's say, uh, evolutionary kind of a technology? Versus like revolutionary because revolutionary of course takes a lot longer. Um, like, do you look at the capabilities of your team and how you can increment technology to make it better, or are you are you more focused on kind of incremental um, improvements versus like completely paradigm shifts? Um, what's your Got thought you. process? Mm -hmm. um, in the end, you have to um, to do this in the portfolio. Uh, there, there's no way around that. So. Um, um, some um, part of your your workforce has to go to optimizing the process you have get you've get anyway. Um, so that would be the evolutionary that you were just mentioning. Um, but on the other hand, what I personally think is extraordinarily important and what we are very much addressing also is what you call disruptive. Um, so something that might completely change um, an entire field. Although um, this means it is high risk. This means not all of them will really hit the ground. So um, you have to carefully decide, okay, which follow, which not, and uh, also to have uh, defined milestones when to say, okay, no, uh, this technology won't make it. Uh, we're going to focus on another one. Um, that's also why uh, it's with any high-tech company, there will be always uh, fields that um, they have get uh, followed for a while but then discontinued because uh, you realize, okay, there's something else that's um, even more interesting. So it's a portfolio. It's a mix. We're doing both. Gotcha. And at, at what point, uh, do you, when you're testing an idea or you know researching one, do you do you shut it down? Do you have an example where it was something that was really promising, but then at some point, you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. It's going to cost too much money. It's going to take too long. Or how do you know when to shut down a project? Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an, an example from another field because I think um, there, there's a good, very good example. Um, <clears throat> if you look also at um, Ernst Abbe that I mentioned earlier and uh, Wildfield microscopy, 
there's um, a famous um, equation that where he said, okay, the, the resolution is um, the resolution minimum is half of the wavelength. Now the visual uh, goes down to uh, 400 or 380 nanometers. And if you go to um, again to the semiconductor uh, technology, at the moment you're using 193 nanometers as the laser source. Um, and there was a lot of discussion, okay, how could you make this better? But at one point, you just don't have um, any light source anymore, or I uh, would say, okay, uh, every, all material that there is in the world will be um, absorbing for this wavelength um, and not um, refracting anymore. So we said, as also some other industry players, okay, let's go for um, soft X-rays. So 13.5 nanometers or extreme UV, you can call it in both directions, but you cannot uh, use uh, lenses anymore. You've got mirrors only. Um, and giving you also maybe a feeling, what does that mean? So it's 13.5 um, nanometers, that's about uh, what grass, the speed of grass is growing in half a minute. Hmm. Uh, so this distance, um, that's the wavelength we're using. Um, and there are a lot of... Um, competitors discontinued this technology because they said that you have to invest just too much money to go in this direction. And that's in particular something which is very understandable if you're a stock-listed company uh, because then uh, you have to show this short-term success. But that's, I think, another very benefit that we have that we're owned by a foundation. So we are run uh, like any other company but uh, we are owned by a foundation. So the money that we are earning is uh, to a major part just going back to the R&D. And that's how we were, are able to follow this. And now we're at the breakthrough to say, okay, uh, this will be possible and it will make a major change to the entire semiconductor um, uh, manufacturing technologies. But uh, all others uh, discontinued. So that will put us also in a pretty favorable uh, position but it's one of those typical things where, where um, technologies otherwise would discontinue because the risk was whether estimated too high or um, the, uh, the, uh, the money you would have to put in there. Yeah, you guys are in an ideal ownership structure for R&D. That's nice. I can see why it's an exciting place to, to work because you have a little more long-term uh, vision than uh, the quarter-to-quarter quarter quarter perspective of some uh, public companies. That's nice, um, right? And and I, and I was curious going back, and I you probably can't, but you know you talk about disruptive technologies, and um, is there an example that you can uh, provide, or is that are all of them uh, confidential? Um, there they are confidential, but I okay. can give you another example, um, also a very recent one. Um, you know uh, Nike, the uh, uh, sports uh, yeah. um, uh, company. Um, they wanted to have sports glasses, so for athletes, for top top athletes, like for the Olympic Games. And um, now, um, if you want to have those glasses, they have to be really distortion-free, and you have to have a, a maximum view. And um, they uh, were then also approaching us and saying, "Okay, can you make that?" And uh, it was quite interesting because. Um, from a theoretical point of view, you could say, okay, you can calculate this, and this has a, um, it's, um, you could imagine the surface is not completely smooth, but you have got an 
an edge within the surface of the lens. Um, so in the topology. So and everybody said, okay, that's something which in theory is the solution, but that's impossible to manufacture. And there we had the um, the chance to um, use the technologies we've developed in these other business sectors, huh. like for example uh, in the industrial metrology and so on, to do that solution. And it's just now, I think it was last week, that it was uh, introduced to the to the market. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so and and that's for example also where we said, okay, we we want to go into to this direction. It is a bit risky to go also there to do to do these uh, molds with an extraordinary precision. Because sure, if, when you've got those um, athletes uh, in the Olympic Games, they they have to they have to perform to the max, um, and they're also the the eyeglasses uh, have to uh, perform to the max. So that's for that's example, a good example. one. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, good example. Okay, and uh, and last question, you know, mm-hmm. you, you uh, think a lot about innovation and just uh, how to bring technologies to the market. It, do you have any advice for the audience? And you know whether it's finding the correct mentors, or you know, um, you know, how do you get ideas? Or um, yeah, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on how mm-hmm. innovation should work and how other people should think about it? I think one one thing I was mentioning earlier already. It's um, you can't force. Um, to have these um, new ideas. It's something hmm. that um, you develop, I think, best really in an um, inter- interdisciplinary and also quite a lot of in, in, in intercultural um, discussions. And I think also what helps a lot if you get kind of a, well, mentor is ideal, um, but maybe sometimes it's just a role model where you'd say, okay, there is uh, the one or the other person who did that in a, in a, good, in a good manner. Uh, that's for me, for example, this um, Abe I was mentioning earlier. Uh, so it's because it was a lot of, um, okay, understanding something and then making a product out of it. And being um, well brave enough to also go really new paths, something that people have not tried yet. Still, you have to know, okay, when to stop doing this, when it's <laughs> leaving nowhere. Yeah. It's, it's also trivial, but... Um, I think that's maybe the the, the key parts there. Uh, so um, uh, discussing and uh, also explaining the ideas you have. When it's a very good idea, you first file it for for patent and then you talk with more people about it. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it's also this in between. When you've got this first idea, you say, okay, you have to uh, mirror or discuss it with someone else, and then it becomes a really great idea. Um, then you carry it together to the patent office, and then you make a product out of it. Mm. That's good, and I like I like the word to use a brave because I think that's a, that's a good point. Whether it's you're in a small startup or if you're in a large company, you have to be brave enough to put an idea forward and stand behind it, and and be brave enough to uh, cl- close the project down or cancel it if it's uh, not going well. That's exactly, good. that's good. Okay. That's a very good. Point, Dave, and that's a, a critical point that you have to then also say, okay, no, now it's enough. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, this is great, and uh, I think that's a good way to end the interview. And Timo, definitely appreciate your time and thoughts. And I learned a ton about lenses, so I'll look at my uh, glasses a lot differently and uh, innovation too. So uh, definitely appreciate it. You're most welcome, Dave, and um, thank you also for uh, giving me the opportunity uh, to talk with you as well. Definitely. And uh, thanks for everyone to 
for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Timo. Bye.